Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to Partly Political Broadcast, episode 48. I'm Tian Nduyeb and like Donald Trump, I too believe that on Friday there was an attack in Sweden that the media didn't report. But that's because they're such polite people, they say thank you all the time and it'd make the news very, very boring. Sometimes they even say tack tack or tusen tack, but look, it's hardly headlines. This past week in politics there has been more lying than a Mufasa calendar, as it seems Truth took a week off along with Westminster. UKIP leader and bespectacled toe Paul Nuttall admitted during a radio interview that his website statement about losing a close friend at the Hillsborough tragedy wasn't true. Hey look, we've all tried to curry favour with potential friends by pretending we like the same music as them, or make up that we know the area they're from, or just lie about having a close friend die in a horrific tragedy even though they didn't and it's dubious you're even at the event in the first place, right? Well, no. And I'm almost certain Paul Nuttall was the weird kid at school who'd get everyone to crowd round while he showed them how he could blow snot bubbles only to find out he had even fewer friends than before. However, candidate for the Stoke by-election did the grown-up mature thing after admitting he'd so insensitively lied by firing a press officer who took responsibility for Paul lying on his own website. Well, some sources say the press officer, so appropriately named for being involved in such sketchy untruths, Linda Ruffley. Some say she actually resigned rather than being fired. But who actually knows? Chances are she's just so traumatised from her whole family being killed in the Haymarket Massacre riot of 1886 that she can't work anymore. Of course, Nuttall says it's a smear campaign that people have bothered to fact-check anything he said, and pointing out he also lied about being a professional footballer or that he didn't serve on a charity board that he was never invited to. Though to be fair, it was probably a far more charitable thing that Nuttall isn't involved with the Northwest Training Council, otherwise he'd probably have demanded all the funding go to the school he never went to. UKIP have supported their leader by posting a picture of campaigners in Stoke that was actually taken in Bolton, and two UKIP chairmen in Liverpool have resigned over Nuttall's Hillsborough lying, and I'm sure it's only time before he pens a book called How to Lose Voters and Alienate Everyone. You wonder if Nuttall is actually running in the Stoke by-election at all. There's every chance he just made that up. By now, I'm not even sure if he exists. He might well just be an animated potato character rejected by Viz. Next on the lie list, Tony Blair has returned to rise up against Brexit in the way you might suggest closing the stable door once the horse is on a plane halfway to Acapulco. Now look, this is going to hurt to say, but... Oh, God. Blair said... Oh, look, I'm so sorry. 
a number of good things. Oh, I feel really sick. But he did. He did. He talked about how dangerous Brexit will be, which it will be, and how it's stopping the government, or anyone else for that matter, focusing on other much-needed issues in the UK, which it is. He also said that having Britain in Europe is a much stronger standing for the transatlantic alliance with the current US maelstrom of horrors. And personally, I don't think he's wrong about any of that, but... But couldn't he have just asked someone else to say those things? You know, maybe someone that the public actually like. I don't know, you know, Ant and Deck, maybe. They could have split it with Adele and she could have sung the important bits. Because having Blair, the man who is to the notion of metropolitan liberal elite what the Sugar Hill Gang is to hip-hop, he doesn't persuade anyone except the handful of people who still like him who are already anti-Brexit. Yes, Blair did some very good things, but he also lied to help blow a country to smithereens, and in the public eye, that's like saying, well, he always says please and thank you, but he did take a shit on your kitchen table and then smash up all your furniture. However, maybe Blair's return to politics could be a good thing. I mean, Britain's pretty divided right now, yet his speech last week had people on the left and right both wishing he'd just fuck off again. And of course, the biggest liar this week is the man who wears falsehood like some sort of monk of deceit. It's President of the USA and batshit fuzz pumpkin Donald Trump. Trump's national security adviser resigned after it turned out he thought he should save Russian hackers some time and just give intelligence about US-Russian sanctions straight to a Russian ambassador over the phone. The transcripts of those phone calls were leaked to the Washington Post, which is indicator number 6003 that Flynn was bad at his job. If anything, by resigning, he's probably made America a lot more secure already. Meanwhile, on Thursday, Trump gave a 77-minute monologue that some might call a press conference and others might call, hey, who let this drunk guy into the wedding? Don't let him have the microphone. Oh, God, why is he saying that? Ah, oh, shit, he's knocked over the cake. Oh. It was a mishmash of incoherent nonsense, including him explaining what he thinks uranium is, saying that he'd inherited a mess at home and abroad, so I guess he means his dad's business, and he generally attacked the media for spreading lies, probably because that's his job and how dare anyone try to take it away from him. He tweeted on the Friday that the media are the enemy of the American people, so I guess he'll be amassing an army of soldiers armed with TV remotes and scissors to cut up newspapers in order to save the US. And at a rally on Saturday, Trump backed up his fear stoking about immigration by saying, you look at what's happening last night in Sweden. But the thing is, nothing had happened in Sweden. Though I'm sad to say Paul Nuttall had many friends that died in the event anyway. More on all of that later. However, I did notice that while it was easy to say that Trump's press conference last week was like listening to the ramblings of a talking computer after someone let their puppy stamp shit into the keyboard, maybe we've just been listening to it in the wrong way, you know. It was a 77-minute monologue, and you know who else was good at monologues and loved big, over-the-top performances? Yeah, Shakespeare. Exactly. And Trump has much in common with, say, Mark Antony and Shakespeare's Julius Caesar, you know, when he proclaims, I am no orator, as Brutus is, but as you know me all, a plain blunt man. So this week, I've rewritten, for your listening pleasure, some of Trump's speech into iambic pentameter, in case it helps us understand what he's actually on about. And I think you'll find that underneath that persimian crust, there might lie a poet, and maybe these incoherent ramblings might actually be his cry for help, wanting us to know that all Trump really wants is to express his creativity. I mean, he definitely doesn't and isn't, but at this point, I'm trying to find any upside to this endless car crash where all the cars are made of everything you loved and everyone driving them is a shouting apricot moron. So, you know. We've pursued this rebuilding in the hopes that we will never have to use this military, and I will tell you that is. My, I would be so happy if we never 
had to use it, but our country will never have had a military like the military we're about to build and rebuild. We have the greatest people on Earth in our military, but they don't have the right equipment, and their equipment is old. I used it. I talked about it. At every stop. Depleted. It's depleted. It won't be depleted for long, and I think... One of the reason I'm standing here instead of other people is that, frankly, I talked about we have to have a strong military. Right, more of that pointless silliness later. While researching to see if there was any Shakespearean characters Trump actually matched, I found an LA Times article that quoted a Shakespeare scholar called Anne Barton, who, when someone made a comparison between Margaret Thatcher and Julius Caesar, responded with, It is unfair to Caesar. Amazing. Anyway, thank you for listening. Uh, you specifically. This is a personal thank you, this one, so don't share it. I wouldn't want someone who only thought about listening to this podcast but didn't to hear any sort of thanks from me or anyone who, say, listens to the politically particle broadbean instead. Uh, fuck them. So, yeah, uh, thank you for listening and thank you to Hugh, Rob and James who all donated to the Patreon last week, which is very much appreciated. And look, if you two would like to throw any cash my way to make this show even better, either aim exceptionally well when you see me next or head to patreon.com for forward slash parpol bro uh, i've also set up a Kofi account which isn't some website where you sponsor your own clone of the seventh secretary general of the un but instead a place where you can make one-off donations to supposedly buy me a coffee uh, the thing is i'll be honest uh, if i have too many coffees i get really all floaty in the head and therefore i can't write anything and would be totally useless so uh you know do buy me a coffee if you don't like this podcast i suppose and you want to hamper it uh, or give me money and i can buy some tea instead uh but look while patreon sort of does dollars and is a monthly thing Kofi is a pounds thing and a one-off thing so if you prefer to contribute to the show that way uh, then head to and uh, look this is a pointlessly difficult link but there seems to be no option to make it easier so it's ko-fi.com forward slash capital A 065 capital LHJ ah god I mean reading that out aloud even I can't be bothered to type that in so um, I don't know why you would be Uh, I've posted it on my website and the partly political Twitter and Facebook accounts um, so maybe check it there Uh, also if you can't contribute financially or won't contribute financially or just don't really understand what money is and can you eat it uh, then why not give the show a review on iTunes Uh, you could just hit the old five stars and say what you want really Um, and my last ask because I am a needy mofo is that I am planning to enter this show uh, this weekly waste of your ear life into the British Podcast Awards and I need to submit four 15 minute clips uh, to the site to do that so do you have any favourite bits of the last 48 episodes uh, if you do please drop me a line at Parpolbro on Twitter the Parpolbro group on Facebook or partlypoliticalbroadcast at gmail.com and let me know as I just hate my own voice and I'm genuinely just wondering if I should send them in clips of the bugle instead uh, also, a non-me thing that I should plug. Um, my pal and wonderful author man, all-round hero, Nikesh Shukla, has a new project. Uh, his last one was the brilliant Good Immigrant book that hopefully you've all read. Uh, all read? That doesn't even make sense. Hopefully you've all read, and maybe you've read it as well. Um, and it collected essays from 21 Asian, black and minority ethnic writers, actors and poets, writing about what it means to be an other in the country you live in. And I stole that last line straight from the book blurb because it sums it up better than I can. But I have read it, and it's entertaining, moving, educational and just bloody wonderful go get it um but nikesh is crowdfunding a new book called rife 20 stories from britain's youth which is as it says on the tin it's not in a tin it's a book um a collection of essays and stories about young people uh by young people about life in britain so 
firstly, it needs crowdfunding. And if you fancy doing that, then please head to Unbound and search for Rife, R-I-F-E. And secondly, if you are under 24, like writing and have an interesting story to tell about growing up in the UK, uh, whether it's about, and this is the list I've got, but I'm sure the scope is even wider, uh, money, mental health, sex, gender, equality, education, crime, and the future. Um, if you'd like to submit something on those lines or something else uh, about being young and living in Britain, uh, then drop an email to editor at Rife Magazine. That's R-I-F-E magazine.co.uk. And Nikesh may well pop your tail in the book. Right, uh, on with this endless bleak spectacle that is global politics. And on this week's show, I'm speaking to Josie Norton of the charity Help Refugees about the Dubs Amendment being shut down early. Uh, there's even more fucking trumpings. And I'll also be taking a look at the French election in a little global PPB update. Oh, and this week, I'm skipping Brexit fallout because I'm going to deal with the Lords debate next week. Yeah, proper break for Brexit stuff. Woohoo! And I'll also look at the Stoke by-election results next week too because... Let's face it, I mean, who the fuck knows what is going to happen there? There's no point in me even pretending to know this week. There's every chance everyone in Stoke is going to realise the futility of voting for any of the shoddy shit show of candidates, all spoil their ballots with large pictures of knobs, and run the area as a communal land. But there you go. And uh, before all that, there is, of course, this. Liz Truss is a justice secretary, only in the way that if justice is blind, she emulates it well by never being around to notice anything. After last week saying there was no quick fix to cut the current problem of prison overcrowding, choosing terrible words considering the drugs issues in the penal system, and ignoring really that letting all of them go at once or just killing everyone would be a really quick fix. I mean, I'm not saying that either are advised, I'm just saying a quick fix does exist. I mean, I'm sure there's far more sensible ones, but, you know, don't just dismiss the idea that exists, eh, Liz? Anyway, anyway, after she said that, Liz Truss has announced frontline prison staff in London and the South East will get up to £5,000 more in a pay increase. And the Prison Officers Association responded by saying, that won't really help at all and is like putting a plaster over a gaping wound, which is a statement that really shows the sort of violence they have to put up with at the moment. And it probably won't help, because as discussed back in episode 37 of this show with Emma McClure, the prison system is pretty banged up itself, with the amount of staff leaving the profession doubling since 2012. It needs loads more investment, more help rehabilitating prisoners before release, uh, look into how they're all managed, specific help for drug offenders, new prisons to be built, and Liz Trust to not be a massive idiot. Sadly, none of those are very likely, especially the last one, as she told The Sun that we should look to the Shawshank Redemption as it shows prisons can be very difficult places, but they can also be places of hope where people decide to do things differently. Yeah, sure Liz, and I guess if all prisoners escape by digging a tunnel behind their favourite poster, it'll reduce prison population in no time. See? There was an easy fix all along. You probably haven't heard of the new Espionage Act, because that's what it's meant to do! I'm only joking, it's actually because it is currently only something that has been proposed by government advisers in an attempt to make the act future-proofed. Now, we all know that to really future-proof something, you should probably just pop it in a tin can, but in this case, it's by putting leaking and whistleblowing in the same category as spying for foreign powers. Leaking and whistleblowing, you say? So referees and bad pipes will be arrested? No, silly Billy. It's actually hugely worrying, as it means that journalists, politicians, hackers and NGOs could all be imprisoned for leaking evidence. For example, the Edward Snowden leak, which was hugely important in revealing just how much surveillance governments are using without the public being aware, well, if this bill had been in place then, then the Guardian staff who broke the story in the UK would also have been arrested. And this could be pretty dangerous as it means any dodgy beeswax the government or government-affiliated groups get up to would stay unreported due to fears of repercussions. 
It's currently an open consultation until April the 3rd, and then it'll probably go to a first draft, so hopefully it'll be revised to not have such frightening silencing measures. Or, like the Investigatory Powers Bill, no one will object to anything and it'll pass through with flying colours, and I'll get in trouble because I told you about it on this. Still, with any luck, prison will just be like the Shawshank Redemption any day now, and I'll be in the Caribbean before you can say the NSA know your Snapchat password. Yay! Crisis is? Or is it crises? Or is it just cr crisis? Maybe crisicles? Anyway, crisicles range in size from a crisis at work, which is usually when someone's left a yoghurt in the office fridge for six years and now it's eaten Mary, or when you realise you hate your boss, but without them you wouldn't know the joy you feel when you leave for the day. Then there is the midlife crisis, which is when you get a motorbike and a leather jacket and then realise you don't have life insurance, so sell them again. And then there are the big ones, the big important ones, like the banking crisis, or as the world is currently seeing, the refugee crisis. There are currently around 60 million displaced people having fled from ongoing conflicts in many countries, including right now, largely Syria. And it's the highest amount of displaced people worldwide since World War II. But of course, you know, it's all fine because every other country is taking in those people and being lovely humans about it and helping their fellow man, so all is fine, yeah? Well, actually, in the words of Donald Trump's Twitter account, not. So, sadly, there's been mass opposition across Europe to taking people in due to all sorts of unthought-through excuses, such as increasing possibilities of terrorism or how there isn't any space left, even though I've been to many parts of the UK where there's really fuck all happening. I'm looking at you, Ilkeston. And of course, last week, the UK government decided they didn't want to take in any more unaccompanied refugee children because Theresa May is really working her way towards being a Disney villain. As someone who mostly likes other people and can't understand the lack of compassion that's been shown in the government's early closure of the Dubs Amendment scheme, I feel pretty angry that as a country we aren't doing our bit to help out. Luckily, there are a number of MPs, Lords, Charities and well, good people who are all very angry about it too and are seeking to overturn the decision both in Parliament and Court. So this week I spoke to Josie Norton from the excellent charity Help Refugees, or as Josie calls it, not a charity, but a movement. Set up by Josie and her two friends a couple of years ago, they have raised funds to get services directly to refugees. And as you'll be able to hear, Josie spoke to me from Greece where she's currently working with various organisations to help shelter the many refugees there. Oh, and uh, before we start, a very small... Excuses, excuses! Uh, Josie is calling me from Greece. Uh, Skype is useless when speaking to someone in the same country, so obviously when someone is abroad, the occasional word does get lost. Uh, also, the odd clicking noise from many episodes long gone is back, and I realised it's actually because it's just me clicking on my computer, the sound volume, as I or Josie speak in order to get the levels right. Yeah, I'm sort of hugely sad it's not actually a phantom digital dolphin. Why is nothing in life the fun possibility anymore? Anyway, all those things aside, uh, this is the closest I've ever had to an optimistic interview on this podcast, so do enjoy. Here's Josie. Uh, hi Josie, um, thanks very much for speaking with me. I understand you're currently in Greece, so what are you doing over there at the moment? Hi Tinan, um, thank you so much for having me on. Um, so I am just here at the moment, we um, support a variety of different projects, so I'm just visiting all the teams um it can be anything from we do fresh food distribution to community centers to um shelter programs to social housing um all sorts of things and we always work with implementing partners so i'm just here chatting to everyone and, and seeing what's going on right and is it uh how are people coping in greece at the moment i'm, I'm guessing there's quite a lot of 
centres and there's quite a lot of... I, I don't know the extent of refugees that are currently in Greece at the moment. There's 66,000 refugees in Greece at the moment. Um, there's 16,000 on the island and about 50,000 on the mainland. Um, it's 65% women and children, which I think is like quite, quite different to what most people think. Most people think of refugees as being a, a huge number of, of young men. Um, and obviously, they would be just as deserving of, of humanitarian help. But And up until very, very recently, almost everybody was in camps, and the camps are uh, um, grossly underserviced. Um, I was here a couple of weeks ago and it, it was minus 13 degrees and there were still babies sleeping in tents. So that, you know, there has been, there's been a huge move to get people out of those tents into other accommodation. But um, it's quite likely that as it starts to get warmer, which it is now. Um, and people are basically not trapped in Greece, but the borders are closed and there's a, a registration system that, that's happening very, very, very slowly. And, and at the moment, if the the rate of registration and processing was to continue um, as it is, it would take 18 years to, to process everybody that's in Greece, um, which isn't really acceptable. So, yeah, it's 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 quite. There's lots of um, we always say um, at Help Refugees that this crisis you see the best of humanity and the worst of humanity. So there's loads of um, amazing people and amazing projects and amazing work being done, but it's, it's very hard for a lot of people. I bet, I bet. And so, how many? You said obviously there's a lot of people on the ground in Greece that are helping. Like how how many are we talking? Like that's an awful lot of people to to have to help. And uh, and as you said, it take eighteen years to register. So how many people have you got helping you at the moment, roughly? We um, we have lots of implementing partners. So uh, there's a good probably few hundred volunteers working with all the different groups that we support. Um, but the, the thing about here is it's super complicated. So. Um, you've got like the Greek Ministry of Migration and then then lots of the camps are run by either the army or the air force. And then there's all the big NGOs working here that are responsible for certain things. And um, almost half of the problem, all of the bureaucracy and no one really knowing who's responsible for what and lots of red tape. And so that it's actually a relatively small number of people. And in theory, there's a, enough agencies and government bodies that should be able to help but for some reason that helps not not translating down to, to people that need it sure I, and I, I i always sort of think that when i hear that i mean i you know i'm, I'm aware of the refugee crisis i don't think i knew or i i still don't think i ever take in the scale of it you know i think it's quite hard to kind of realize exactly how big it is and how many displaced people there are um do yeah. you yeah do you, do you think that's the case with a lot of people that it, you know, you're out there seeing it. It must be quite a different thing to be going to Greece to be going to places where people are. Yeah, I think so. And I think, and even in Greece, sixty-six thousand people is a, is a small number of the sixty-five million who are displaced in the world. But it's you know, when you think of that sixty-six thousand, that's probably like you know, just under thirty thousand children. That's so many children to be not having the things that we all just take for granted to not have a bedroom to not be going to school to not know that they're going to be warm at night and I think it's difficult as well in Europe to come to terms with the fact that children are living like that in in Europe which is somewhere that you you wouldn't think that 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 should be going on and I mean that also when you when you think of things like that and I think as you say 
the fact that it's children is particularly hard to stomach as well. Uh, but obviously in the UK, uh, the government uh, have just uh, said that they're ending the Dubs Amendment early. Um, and Home Secretary Amber Rudd was saying that the reason she's done that is because they've helped refugee th- children through other schemes. Do you think that's a reasonable excuse uh, to close it early? Um, no. <laughs> uh, so... <laughs> I mean, that'll do if that's your answer, if you are. I can can elaborate. Um, So the Alf Dubs Amendment got passed um, last May. Um, It was an amendment that got made to the Immigration Act um, for a specific group of children, which was um, a group of children that were in Europe who were the most vulnerable because they were unaccompanied and completely alone and with no family members anywhere else in Europe. so whilst it's amazing that the the UK is resettling refugee children from the region, which is basically um, like Lebanon, Jordan, Syria, um, though it, that doesn't help those children who were already in Europe, which is why the amendment um, got made in the first place and why people campaigned so much because we were all um, very aware, especially with Calais on our doorstep, that there were as young as eight living completely alone um, just across the channel and those children for one reason or another were wanting to come to the UK they weren't being taken care of in France Um, and you know I think British values we're all incredibly proud of um, Nicholas Winton who started the kinder transport in the second world war who saved 10,000 children you know we think of that as something to be proud of as British people and we and I think and the MPs and the Lords that voted for the Dumbs Amendment and the people that campaigned for it wanted to uphold those values and shutting our door on very, very vulnerable children isn't something um, that that I think many, many people in the public um, want to see happening. No, no, I'm, I'm sure I, t- I totally agree. I mean, I read I read somewhere a while ago that I think the UK has facilities to take in. I think it was like 85,000 refugees or asylum seekers without it affecting us in any way but i mean uh, what the dub screen was originally to take in three thousand children how many unaccompanied child refugees do you think the government could be bringing into the uk um and, and thinking of sort of financial implications is that a, is that a problem for them to to bring in more um so yeah the original amendment was for three thousand children and that got passed in the house of lords it then went over to the house of commons where it got voted down um, and they they call it ping ponging. So it ping ponged back to the House of Lords, and they have to change something. So they they changed the number. So it went back. It got passed again with an unspecified number. It went to the House of Commons, and then after much campaigning, it it passed. So uh, yeah, after they had to change something in the amendment. So they changed the number from three thousand to an unspecified number. It went back to the House of Commons, and the law got passed. So that was in May. It took all the way until October of last year for any children to come to the UK under the amendment. And then the uh, at the Calais camp closed, about 200 children got brought to the UK and brought to safety. Um, and since then, no more children have been transferred under that legal framework. And the government has now announced that it's going to close it at 350 children. So that's only 150 more than the 200 that came last year. And the reason that the government is saying that no more children can come is because local authorities across the country don't have any room for those children. 
and we know that not to be true. We speak to a, a host of local authorities, um, many of whom say that they, they came forward and said that they had a certain number of places available. And, for example, uh, one London local authority had 15 places and they've only had two taken up. Um, and, and so there is a definite will in the country. It's just not being being used or or taken upon and in answer to the financial aspect again if the local authorities are saying that they have got space for those children then that means they've they have got the finances um and i also think that you know even if it would mean you have to readjust the budget slightly um we you you know you have you know share the wealth kind of thing but if there's incredibly vulnerable eight-year-old children um, needing somewhere to live, I, I think that um, we we can try and we can find the the money from somewhere. Well, that's something that's something I I totally agree with you on that, and I you know to, to me I don't understand why you wouldn't help people, but obviously the government have thought you know they, there's some opposition to them going back to the three thousand figure. Do you think it's uh, sort of pressure from tabloid press and from kind of anti-refugee sentiment obviously there was all the nonsense last time around of oh they're not children or whatever they don't you know that kind of rubbish what what do you think is that anything to do with why the government want want to end the scheme early do you think i think so it, it must do i think it's very interesting actually the when there was all the talk about the age of the children um those those children in question uh were actually uh, children that were coming back to the UK under family reunification so they were coming to join their um, a family member and the checks for that are incredibly vigorous so you have to prove that family link you have to have your passport you have to um, the home office really really check it with a fine tooth comb so that there's no way that there really would have been an, an error there and currently with the criteria that the the government has set for the um, Dubs Amendment children. They're children under twelve, so I, I can't, I can't really understand what their reasoning would be. Particularly having spoken to so many local authorities who are who are willing and able to to help these children. Um, well, you're 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 challenging, aren't you? In in court, I believe help refugees are, and also not, there's been a number of people opposing it. So, do you think it's possible that they'll? overturn and go back to their original promise i really hope so i think so i think that um in the same way that when they um didn't pass it as a law first time um the whole country kind of got up in arms and i i feel like the same thing is happening now and i think that maybe if they improve the consultation that they do with local authorities they'll find that there is a bit more room than they thought and maybe they can um they can help more children because are we are we particularly i say we is the uk particularly bad you know compared to other countries how are we at helping with the current crisis are we doing our bit um to be frank no yeah be as frank as you like right yeah um no we're not really doing our bit at all um in terms of at the sort of start of the crisis last year uh the government committed to taking 20,000 refugees over 5 years which might sound like a lot, but um, it, it's a really, really small number if you broke it down per constituency. It's, it's, I think, it's less than ten people per constituency, um, which is, which is a really, really small number when you consider that it's, 
just from Syria alone, you know, it's, it's millions of people that are fleeing war and conflict and um, needing somewhere safe to stay. Um, I think it's really important as well to remember that that when you speak to refugees, they don't they want to go home. Like if, as soon as their country would become safe, they they want to go home. There's like a kind of myth that people are coming to steal jobs. That these people wouldn't be here if they didn't if they didn't have to be. Um, and also, it's worth noting. So within Europe now, there's a a scheme called relocation, and the idea is that um, all the refugees that came into Europe over the last year and a half would kind of be evenly spread out. So Europe shares shares the burden, as it were. Um, and the UK is one of the only countries that didn't um, choose to become part of that scheme. So that's just, a, again, a, a real sign that we're, we're not doing our bit, as it were. Oh, that's it's so depressing when you hear things like that. It's sort of, you know, people that are supposedly proud of our country and you go, well, we should have, that's the sort of thing that we should be doing as a country. We should be signing into that scheme. Um, but I, just quickly, I, I think it's really important to um, to talk about the fact that I think what our government is doing to to what the country as a whole is doing, and we as an organisation are just so overwhelmed by how much support there is and how much people really do want to help and, and don't want to be seen as people closing the door. You know, in, in our warehouse in Calais, you get beautiful... Um, donations of, of knitted clothes that have been knitted by local knitting groups or you'd have you know primary school sending over backpacks with the British public um, is really compassionate and does want to help Hold up What was that? Boring No flavor That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. And I'll tell you what else I see. I see tone. You know the word tone. The tone is such hatred. I'm really not a bad person, by the way. No, but the tone is such I do get good. Ratings, you have to admit that. The tone is such hatred. Hardly Global Broadcast. So, it turns out that other countries have elections too. 
Who'd have thunk it? I mean, it's not the sort of thing you'd guess when you pop over for holidays and get drunk all the time, but some of those people who put up with your shouting and pointing also have votes in democratic systems. I mean, there's one in France in just a few months. I know! Here I was just assuming they had a six-hour lunch break and whoever didn't nap could be president. Ha! I joke! I actually thought it was just who shrugged best and smoked most as a child. Ha! I joke again! Oh dear, I'm an awful, awful man. Anyway, France has the first round of their presidential elections on the 23rd of April, but it's not at all clear who the champignon might be. Yes, I know that means mushroom. In this ever-openly global world we live in, the outcome of France's elections could affect the UK quite a bit with our Brexit negotiations, or in the case of one of the candidates, simply in the terrifying rise of the far right across the Western world. So it's not simply c'est la vie anymore, but more some seriously murd important. So, for this section... Bienvenue à la diffusion Parlement politique. There are currently sync candidates in the running for the top job of top dog, with Benoit Hamon for the Socialist Party, uh, the party the current president that no one likes Hollande is from, and then there is François Fillon for the Republicans, Jean-Luc Mélenchon for the Left Party, Maureen Lapon for the big old racist Front National, and Emmanuel Macron with his own invented party en marche. Now, this is an interesting selection, and not just because all their surnames rhyme. Amon, Filon, Lepon, Mélenchon and Macron. I know, right? But it's also because the frontrunners of this aren't the usual frontrunners. For a start, Mélenchon and Amon don't look like they're in with any sort of a chance, especially as they seem to be attacking each other. Typical left, eh? Eh? Mélenchon is considered hard left and wants to share France's wealth and raise spending, prioritise environmental stuff and work with the EU to renegotiate treaties to end austerity in France. Hamon has similar values but wants to go with a universal wage, have a 32-hour working week, tax robots and legalise marijuana. And that last one there, totally making the previous two about short working weeks and robots, make an awful lot more sense. Amon and Mélenchon are set to come in 4th and 5th place respectively, and while there was talks of alliance, it just won't really matter because it looks like they'd probably just lose together if they did. Then there is François Fillon, who looks a bit like a football manager that constantly thinks he's seen a ghost. Fillon was Prime Minister under Nicolas Sarkozy from 2007 to 2012, and the French media used to refer to him as Mr Nobody, and Sarkozy apparently privately referred to him as a sad case, so he'd be forgiven for thinking he was just disappearing into the background of these elections, but apparently he's actually a firm fave to win. Maybe in the world of over-the-top political figures, one that is at best vaguely describable is actually some sort of a relief. I mean, think about it. Boris, Trump, then there's just some shifty guy in the back looking all weird, not really getting in the way. Ah, bloody nice. Philon, though, is actually pretty right-wing, wanting to scrap tons of public sector jobs, scrap the 35-hour working week and raise the pension age. Uh, He's also against gay marriage, wants to be tough on terrorism and is a big old Catholic, so really, more like Mr. Nobody Wants to Hang Out With You, your chat is awful. Philon's ratings looked like they would fall when it turned out he'd hired his wife for an assistance job, costing the state half a million euros per year. Now, it's not illegal to hire a family member unless they aren't actually doing the work, but it also doesn't look great if you, like Philon is, are running a campaign on being honest and sleaze-free. And it's not particularly incising for the public if, like Trump, you're just going to get the family in on your little coup. I mean, also, really, who can actually trust someone who's happy to spend their time at home with their family and then their time at work with their family too? That's creepy, right? It is currently being investigated and Fion is still running oddly, with most French Conservatives still backing him, even if two-thirds of French voters aren't. Now, the other two. 
I'm sure you heard of Marine Le Pen, uh, leader of the Front National, daughter of a mega-racist neo-Nazi, friends with Toadface Farage, fond of Trump, looks like she'd probably eat a puppy raw, and is overtly nationalistic and very anti-Islamic. But since the terrorist attacks in France over the last couple of years and the shots fired at the Louvre last week, her party has gained a lot of ground, and she's currently in the lead in opinion polls because people have terrible opinions. She's considered to be the best for security because really, what's more secure than getting a $30 million loan from Putin's friend's bank to help your campaign? I mean, those Russian connections totally work for Trump's national security advisor, eh? Oh. Le Pen has also softened her stance on the EU, no longer advocating for a Frexit. She's not opposing gay marriage anymore and she plans to lower the retirement age to 60 and add funds to public services. So basically, she's covering bases with both right and left-wing racists. Le Pen's headquarters were raided by police today after investigations that she used EU funds to pay people to do non-existent jobs. Of course, anti-EU types would say isn't that all the EU does as well, but Le Pen actually paid her bodyguard €45,000 saying he was an EU parliamentary assistant, which isn't true as if he really wanted to assist the EU parliament, he'd have stopped protecting Marine. Then she paid her assistant nearly €300,000, despite her also definitely not qualified for having an EU parliamentary job. So there's every chance she could be prosecuted for some dodgy dealings as well. Lastly is the wildcard Macron, an independent candidate who worked for President Hollande in 2014 as his economy minister. But he is a centrist and so is appealing to both the left and right, you know, like politicians in the UK used to. I mean, I suppose the Lib Dems still do, but when it comes to them, appeal is probably the wrong word. Now, Macron at the time recording this still hasn't released a manifesto of policies, but we do know he wants increased labour market flexibility, which I think means just more builders doing yoga. Uh, he wants economic reform and increased social mobility. He's pro-EU and he was doing pretty well with all sides at once until a few days ago when he said that France's colonial past was a crime against humanity when he visited Algeria. And this, of course, has led to Fionn and Le Pen saying that he has a hatred of France's history, which, let's be fair, once you've read up on it, makes sense. I have a hatred of France's history as well. I mean, there's a whole bit where all the people killed their own monarchy. Even they hated their history. Macron specifically meant, when he said that, the French rule of Algeria that finished in 1962 with Algeria's independence, which followed a lot of violence. So he's not really wrong to disown that, unless you're a very right-wing French person. Sorry, I mean, just a French person. In which case, why wouldn't everywhere want to be ruled by France? I mean, have you had petty fours? After upsetting the right, Macron then pissed off the left by appealing to right-wing voters who opposed gay marriage by saying they'd been ignored. So, from centrist who appeals to everyone, he's now bang in the middle of a Venn diagram where neither side touches as they're totally ignoring him. But this round only narrows it down to two candidates and then the president is chosen in a second round in May. And right now, who actually knows who will win? A lot of French people are conservative in wanting to keep France as French as possible, which in itself is a very French thing to do. So Fionn appeals to them, but Penelope Gate, as it's so called and sounds like a 60s actress, may mean Le Pen is the next best candidate instead. Even though she pays people for jobs they don't do, wants to be Putin's buddy and thinks Trump's win was a global revolution, which is only correct if she meant it was the beginning of the earth spinning backwards. But then witnessing Brexit and Trump, many are now lured by a centrist candidate instead of the extremism of Le Pen, so it could be Macron who comes through if he doesn't fail because no one told him you can't please everyone, especially if you upset all of them instead. So who will win and be the next president of France? Mm. Now, back to Josie. That's really nice to know because I, I was going to ask, I mean, again, a lot of people I know are very passionate about helping um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's something that I'm... That, I think people that I, I've grown up in London, I know a lot of people that really care about this sort of thing. But I, I also feel from... 
uh, press and probably social media that always makes everything seem worse than it is. You know, I, I was sort of worried if there's been an increase in anti-refugee sentiment across kind of the Western world in particular. And do you think that's the case? And if so, is that, again, something that kind of gets in the way of of actually helping this crisis? I think, I mean, you know, we're, we'd all be blind, I think, if we said that, that there wasn't an anti-refugee sentiment across the Western world at the moment, particularly um, since the Trump administration came into power. Um, and I think it's really frightening. I think the word refugee should mean somebody incredibly vulnerable who's fleeing war. Um, and somehow it's become synonymous with um, you know, even even as far in America, it's become synonymous with the word terrorist, and that's these people are fleeing terror. They're fleeing the enemy that 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 people are afraid of, and somehow that's all got incredibly mixed up. And I think people need to go back and like and really think about what it is that they're afraid of, because I think it's kind of a fear of ignorance. And if people were to become educated around the issue they would realize that these aren't people to be afraid of at all they're incredibly lovely people who often are you know just families who've been through terrible terrible trauma and and they just need help and that's not to say there aren't some people who aren't aren't that nice you know in any in any section of society you've got people who are really lovely you've got people who've got problems um, but these these group of people are no different to any other section of society. And, and I think people don't necessarily tend to realise that. Sure. I, I, but I, I suppose the uh, and again, I think any reasonable people, any reasonable person knows that and knows that they're fleeing a, a horrific situation. But how do you get that message across to people that aren't so willing to listen that they are just people that need help? Um, what's what's the way to do that? Um, I think our media has a huge um, responsibility. Um, you know, I've seen over the last year and a half, a lot of the time I'll have been in a situation somewhere in Europe and it, like I was saying, you know, it will be families that um, will be there suffering. And then I watch the news report and again, you just see images of young men. And and as I was saying before, young men are just des- deserving of, of help. But the, the media is is telling a story that's not necessarily true. I think the use of language in media needs to be really looked at, um, particularly in a lot of the right-wing press. The language used to talk about people is very dehumanising. Um, and I think we all just have a, a responsibility to kind of tell the truth as much as possible, talk to people, um, and and try and and share stories and, and help people to understand the, the situation as it as it truly is and uh, i thought i'd ask you uh sort of uh some of, i thought i'd t- say to you some of the the crap uh kind of retorts that i get on twitter from people that are quite anti-refugees and see if you can give me any kind of just quick answers because i think a lot of people out there also uh you know i very much uh want to defend helping refugees but sometimes i don't have the words or the facts uh to hand to defend it properly so <laughs> okay um so uh you know uh is there any truth uh that terrorist groups send over operatives amongst refugees no i don't believe so i think terrorist groups are a bit more sophisticated and probably have a bit more money than to send someone walking across countries for 
months on end i think they probably just buy them a fake passport to be honest <laughs> yeah i do always think when when you take into consideration how many checks it is and obviously people coming across on boats and the terrible journeys they have i don't know why you know you sort of think a terrorist group wouldn't bother it's not the most efficient method definitely isn't of... the most efficient method no no <laughs> okay uh next one is why do refugees have to come to england uh, they don't have to come to England at all. Actually, most aren't really that interested in coming to England. Um, if you think over a million refugees came to Europe last year and the population of Calais was never really more than about twelve to 15,000. So it's actually a very, very small percentage. And most of those people were wanting to come to England because they have family in England um, and or they speak English. So... Um, I think that's a myth that we can put to bed. Good. Yeah, I, I, again, that's one of those ones where I think if you've come from a hot country, I don't think you'd want to come to England by choice, you know? No, definitely not. <laughs> definitely, definitely. It's not going to be your pick. Um, and then the last one, uh, why should we spend money on refugees when we have poverty issues in the UK? Um, I don't think that we need to be making, differentiating between one person in need and another person in need. We can definitely help people who are living below the poverty line in the UK and we can help people who are fleeing war and conflict and also need our help I think there's more than enough to go around that is that is brilliant brilliantly answered now hopefully the listeners will take that in and then we'll have we'll have that armed and ready for next time someone questions Great. brilliant <laughs> um yeah, I, well, that was that was fantastic, and and obviously, uh, help refugees are doing an awful lot in uh, in Greece, and I guess uh, in in other places as well at the moment. Yeah, we are. We um, we are working in France, Greece, Italy, Turkey, Serbia, Lebanon, and Syria. Quite wow. <laughs> wow, yeah. that's quite incredible. Cause you you were set up in tw- is it twenty fourteen? Twenty fifteen in August. Oh, twenty fifteen. Yeah, we've been really lucky. We've just had so much support behind us. And we kind of say we're a movement rather than a charity. And, um, you know, that people, like we were saying before, people really want to help and we're, and we're giving people a way in, w- in which to do that. Um, and the grassroots movement is all across Europe um, and into Lebanon, Turkey. And, and actually what we found in, in Syria is it's really amazing Syrian organisations who are you know civil society still exists in syria and there are amazing people doing amazing things um, and we're really really honored to support groups like that that's fantastic it's, it's really nicely life-affirming to know that uh not only are you you helping in so many countries but people are, are willing to contribute and be part of it and help out yeah it totally is it's a it's a huge volunteer movement be that the people that are coming and donating their time in a warehouse or be that the people that are making a, a bake sale in the UK and raising money. It's, it's a big group effort. And uh, apart from, uh, I always try and put something at the end of these interviews to uh, help the listeners kind of if they, if they want to do any more. And obviously they can donate to help refugees, which I suggest they all do. But also, uh, what else can they do to help? Uh, can they just come out and help if they want? Um, and is there anyone maybe they should follow on social media or check out online if they want kind of real accounts and real news that doesn't come from newspaper headlines? Anything like that would be great. Cool. I would... Go on our website and have a look. There's a, a how to help uh, area on the website and you can see what, what you can donate in terms of goods, in terms of time. You can come and volunteer in one of our warehouses. There's all sorts of different ways to get involved. Writing letters to your MP, 
um, all sorts of things that you can do. Um, obviously, follow us <laughs> on social media at Help Refugees UK. Um, and I think in terms of news sources, there's loads of really great ones. Actually, Al Jazeera is a really great source of news. Channel 4 News is a brilliant source of news. Um, I, The Guardian, obviously, we're very big fans of The Guardian. We work with them a lot. Um, and interesting people to follow. Um, Hayden Prowse is a very great guy who does The Revolution Will Be Televised. Oh, sure. Yeah, he helps lot. out you guys quite a lot, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, he's helped us out a lot. Um, he's got a very funny take on, on current events. Um, and who else? There's lots of other brilliant organisations. I mean, people like Amnesty, organisations like that that are doing really, really, really fantastic work. A huge thank you to Josie for speaking with me. Um, I'll be candid with you. I was hoping to chat to Josie or one of the other to help refugees in a few weeks' time, but the guest I did have dropped out super last minute. So Josie helped me out because she is a champion of humanity in so, so many ways. Help Refugees website is at helprefugees.org.uk and you can donate to them there or find out how to help with frontline services if you'd like to. Uh, I'm hoping to head out to Greece at some point later in this year if I can. Um, they are on Twitter at Help Refugees UK and the same Help Refugees UK on Facebook. I'm a very big supporter of the charity myself and uh, me and comedian Jen Brister are running a number of comedy gigs uh, with all funds going to them called Stand Up for Refugees. Uh, our one at the Lowry in Salford on March 24th has already sold out. Uh, that's with Sarah Miller and Jason Manford but we currently have shows at the Birmingham Rep on May 31st with Joe Lysett, Nish Kumar and others uh, the Bristol Tobacco Factory on June the 12th with Gary Delaney and Josie Long the Hartford Theatre on June 20th with Andy Zaltzman and more and the Brighton Dome on June 21st with Shappy Corsandi Mark Steele and a mega special guest that I can't name yet. So if you live in any of those places do head along and support and more importantly if you know anyone who gives crappy reasons as to why we shouldn't be helping other human beings hopefully Josie's quick fire answers will help and if they don't help then just don't tip when you leave the cab and I'm sure they'll get the message. As every single goddamn diggity time, if there's someone you'd like me to interview for this show or an issue to interview someone about, do drop me a line at Parpolbro on Twitter, the Parpolbro group on Facebook or partly political broadcast at gmail.com. <laughs> Well, I guess one of the reasons I'm here today is to tell you the whole Russian thing. That's a ruse, that's a ruse, and by the way, it would be great if we could get along with Russia. Just so you understand that, now tomorrow you'll say, Donald Trump wants to get along with Russia. This is terrible, it's not terrible. It's good we had Hillary Clinton try. And do a reset, we had Hillary. Clinton give Russia 20% of the uranium in our country. You know what uranium is, right? This thing called nuclear weapons, like lots of things, are done with uranium, including some bad things. This week, the partly big question came from at Real Neil Turner on Twitter because I'd got a Cinnabon from Costco for £3.50 and my brain wasn't working. Uh, the question was, with Blair rising from the political grave to block Brexit, what other uninvited figure would you not want backing your cause and what would the cause be? Dan Mayer at Mini Mayer on Twitter says, I wouldn't want that meerkat that says simple supporting animal welfare because I'd want to kill him. At Gibby McDibby uh, says, uh, I was surprised when Paul Nuttall endorsed my Hiroshima survivors support group. Turns out he and several close pals were there. At Fooled Again on Twitter says Boris Johnson. Doesn't name a cause, just says Boris Johnson. And I think we can all understand and appreciate that. At Magic Darts says, I don't want Magneto suggesting a return to the Iron Age. 
Uh, Nikki De Palmer on Facebook said Gove going vegan. Uh, is that because he would bang on about it all the time, even more so than normal? Uh, is that because is that because he wouldn't want any experts on being vegan? Would probably end up just eating meat, uh, or is it because I suppose brown nosing uh, is still vegan somehow? Um, Matt Kinson on Facebook said Skeletor having decided not to endorse my bodybuilding system throwing himself into advertising my facial skincare range uh, Donald Trump putting his face on my golf club although come to think of it and Matt Hoss on Facebook says having David Cameron helping our RSPCA hmm more questions next week do check the Twitter and the Facebook for them Donald Trump, Donald Trump, scary Donald Trump, orange, orange Donald Trump, racist Donald Trump, sexist Donald Trump, stupid Donald Trump, President Donald Trump, oh my god, President Donald Trump, that's a real thing, oh oh god, it's scary, I'm really scared. I'm in two minds about President Trump constantly saying most of the media is fake news. Uh, Firstly, I think it's a terrifying dictator-like stance to ensure that people only believe what he says and wants to be true. But then secondly, I think, well, if it was all fake, it's all about him at the moment, and that would mean that the absolute torrent of horseshit that's come in every day since his inauguration was some sort of fiction, and this was all some war of the worlds over elaborate many-part drama that we'll all laugh about when it's all over. But of course, that won't happen, because sadly the fake news is real news based on Trump's fake news, and now we're all in a circle of hell that Dante tried to report on but everyone said wasn't true. The past week has once again had so many stupid Trump happenings that I can't possibly talk about them all or we'll be here for a week and then by then God knows what the fuck he'll have done. There was Flynn's resignation, staff layoffs in various state departments, cuts to important domestic programmes, talks of a new travel ban, a draft memo about the National Guard rounding up and deporting unauthorised immigrants, which is apparently fake news because people found out about it and really, really hated it, more staff resigning after disagreements with Trump, some staff not passing FBI checks, the Republican health proposal giving more money to the rich than the poor, and that's only a few of the things. Oh yeah, and Trump admitted he thought there was an event in Sweden because of something he saw on Fox News, which is concerning as it's only time before he believes weird plunger trash can robots have invaded the UK because he accidentally flicked over to Doctor Who. So you can see why, in a Harris poll, 66% of Americans feel stressed about the future of their country. I feel stressed about the future of their country, and I don't live there. I mean, sod the future, I feel stressed about what he's going to do next week. But this week, I just wanted to quickly look at the fact that Trump is currently costing the American taxpayer nearly as much in a month as Obama costs him in a whole year. So far, Trump's visits to his golf club Mar-a-Lago in Florida and all his son's business trip that requires security staff have come to $11.3 million in a month. Obama's, for every year of his eight-year presidency, averaged $12.1 million. And that's not taking into account how much Barry must have saved by not using his phone to tweet every two minutes while watching Fox News. Then there are the currently unconfirmed costs of having to have security detail for Melania and Barron while they live in New York. I mean, part of me feels like that's a public service, allowing the First Lady to be as far away from her pig husband as possible. You know, considering Trump's destruction of women's rights, I do feel like he's unintentionally providing Melania with a shelter from sexist abuse, simply because she's nowhere near his grabby tiny hands. But Trump is expensive to America, and I think it's important to focus on this, because it's becoming more and more clear every day that Trump is very much in it for his own personal business benefit. And yeah, I know that's potentially always been obvious, but look at how his Trump clothing line couldn't get a trademark in China, and then he said he didn't back the One China plan, then he said he did back the One China plan, and now suddenly his clothing chain is trademarked, so everyone in China knows exactly which set of clothes are the official ones to make you look like an American Pat Butcher. 
He's been boosting his Mar-a-Lago Golf Club with every visit, which is currently 25% of the time as president so far. And he's currently looking at repealing a number of business legislations that were put in place to stop corruption. Because, hey, it's not illegal if it's legal. He's running the US like it's his business, which is concerning considering how many times in the past his business has been bankrupt. But it also means every rally is boosting his brand, every bit of publicity, even if it's about him saying the publicity is fake, is still publicity, and every deal with foreign countries is going to be made based on what he can get out of it. So perhaps the way to defeat him is with rival business plans. Open up a rump organisation, use all the rules he's put in place to make cheaper versions of everything he does, and build towers and golf courses just opposite his but with everything being one cent less. Start a TV show called Work Experience, which is just like The Apprentice, only has 16-year-old kids on a week off from school trying to win shift work for no pay in Walmart. Okay, it's a terrible idea, but if nothing else, it'll distract him from being president for just a little bit, and I can finally have a week off having to talk about this sort of shit. That's all for this week. Uh, thanks so much for listening. And again, please do give the show a review on iTunes. Drop me a quid or two at the patreon.com forward slash site or at the Kofi on that weird bloody link that I gave earlier that no one can remember. And maybe even just tell someone that you like to give the show a listen or even just a download. I mean, I still have no idea if you actually listen to this show, uh, only if you download it because the way the stats work. So, I mean, like Trump, I just want the numbers. I mean, fuck it. Fake a graph, send it over saying the show has the most listeners, the best listeners. I won't even look at the axis i'll just feel oddly comforted oh god this is how it begins isn't it do drop me a line at parpobro on twitter the parpobro group on facebook or partly political broadcast at gmail.com and i'll be back next week with a slightly fuller episode uh when i'm going to be comparing theresa may sitting in on the lord's brexit debate to a vulture threateningly hovering above a ton of ancient elephants who honestly couldn't give a shit this week's show is brought to you by the number zero which if you draw a face on it looks a lot like paul nuttall's lying face yeah We've begun preparing to repeal and replace Obamacare, Obamacare. It is a disaster, folks. It is a disaster. I know you can say, oh, Obamacare, I mean they fill up our alleys with people that you wonder how they get there, but they are not. The Republican people that are, representatives are representing. So we've begun preparing to repeal and replace Obamacare and are deep in the midst of negotiations on a very historic tax reform to bring our jobs back to bring our jobs back to this country big league it's already happening but big league ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.